Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Graves, ex-Scotland international Johnny Beatty, former France hooker Benjamin Kayser, and a very special guest today. We've got one of the stars of the current France team that's getting so many plaudits at the moment, so we'll get him on very shortly. But how's your week been, guys? Uh, first day of lockdown, okay? So we've been preparing <laughs> for it uh, psychologically, uh, financially, and so in terms of work. What do you want to say? You get, we got to stay strong. It's bigger than us. Uh, stick together. But it's another big hit on the chin. Not being able to travel, to see my parents, you know, thinking about Christmas. Are we going to be able to do stuff? Blah, 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 blah. So that's all the dark. The, the good, good side is that on Monday, they started fitting my kitchen. <laughs> so we got almost a kitchen and then they opened the boxes and cupboards that were meant to be 900 were 800. So basically the first, the first, hour was extraordinary the second hour was back to distress because we had to send them back and get them changed and all that but other than that all good and i commentated well scotland from the stade de france in the studio so explain that one to me but oh well that's that's what i did and johnny you're you're a dab hand at the lockdown now so you've been doing it for a while <laughs> i can't remember last time i was unlocked um no mate we're now used to it we we've been locked down again for a week Obviously, the positive is it's a lockdown light this time, so the kids are at school, which is an absolute lifesaver, which means we can get on during the day and paperwork, admin, boring stuff. Um, following the US election, which is highly entertaining at the minute, which has been good fun, so watching that unfold. Um, apart from that, again, like Benji, waiting for Autumn Nations Cup to kick off, waiting to get out and commentate, get out of the house and get working. Um, but no, honestly, we're, we're, we're used to it now. We just don't know how long this one's going to last. Um, but hopefully things will cool down for Christmas and we can do a bit of something with someone and hopefully with the latest addition to the family. Yeah, the American election's definitely um, giving the French rugby politics a run for the money. <laughs> oh, mate, it's unbelievable. Yeah, he's a different level. I would it's love hilarious. to see a, him just dropping at a table of a conversation between the league and, and the federation. He'd probably take one <laughs> side and just stir things up and then go to the other side and th- stir things up again. Uh, that would be absolute classy entertainment, I'm telling you. Well, we'll chat about the France game in more detail later on, but our guest was front and centre in another impressive France performance last weekend, so we'll get him on right now to have a chat about it. It's Racing and France second row, Bernard Leroux. How are you? Fine, thank you, yourself. Thanks for having me. So talk to us then. How was the game against Ireland from your perspective? Did it all go according to the game plan? Yeah, obviously we wanted to win with a, a bit more points. That would have been would have been great, but I'm happy with the win. 
happy with the Six Nations performance overall. I think we did pretty well, so except for the game, for the bonus points we, we lost against England or the, the one they got at the end. And then obviously the Scotland game where we, I think we lost a bit of focus there the week before lockdown and all the rumours going on. And yeah, but happy with the overall performance. You mentioned the tries and the points that you, you knew when, it, when you kicked off that you needed to get against Ireland. How much was that spoken about in the, in the build-up? What was the mindset? Did you, did you go out there knowing you wanted to score all these points and tries or was it more about the win first? Obviously, it was Ireland's a big game. Scoring 30 points against Ireland is, is massive. So we went out knowing we had to score 31 or over 30 points to, to win the Six Nations. But our first goal was just to win the game. Um, Fabian Galti came to see us before the game. He said, listen, this is the situation. We need this to win. But first of all, we would just like to win Ireland. It's been, we've only won them once in the last nine years. So um, that was really important to get a good win against Ireland. I've never beat them, period. Ever. <laughs> My first time as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, it's important to, to put things in perspective. So if, if I don't get it wrong, Bernie, you, you rocked up what, in 2013, right? Was it New Zealand tour? Was that your first tour, your first captain? That, that, was, that was my first tour, yeah. So Bernie basically has been, he went through all the shit of the French <laughs> rugby, you know, for a while. Everything that we've been speaking about in this show, just to sum it up, Bernie, you know, to, because everybody asks me, so what's going on with French rugby? Why? Just explain to us, you know? So he's lived from the inside, the ups and downs, the Saint-André, the Guinoves, or whatever so now finally get a six nations where people are smiling are happy and with some wins of course it's a bloody amazing performance of course all you can ask for them is first beat island then we will speak about bonus points and about this and that but it just it's always press pause and realize where we were five years ago ten years ago wherever where we've been with our heads down and in April or no, in February, we're all hyped up. Let's go for Six Nations. And by May, we're trying to hide somewhere because <laughs> we're so ashamed. So Bernie's done that. And I think he, he's, he's that link of generation to basically tell the young folks, the Dupont, the, the Entamac, and the, all these guys who don't have the weight of the past on their shoulders. Just realize where we come from. Realize, you know, where, where, where the crowd has seen us for years and years and years. So that's why I was genuinely chuffed to all you boys that been through all the shit to get this. You're absolutely dead right. Get the win and concentrate on us. And then obviously because of point difference, you guys still beat the champion. So for me, that counts. It was quite surprising to see the guys' reaction after the game. Like no one celebrated. No one was really happy because obviously we wanted to win the Six Nations. Like, coming off the field, the coaches told us, listen, you guys smile. We just beat Ireland. We scored 30, over 30 points against Ireland. So the boys wasn't happy after the game. Obviously, we wanted to win the Six Nations, but I think we had a get, good campaign. Get Guillaume Girado. Get Guillaume Girado to come and do a speech, <laughs> man. He would, been, <laughs> <laughs> he would have been so happy. You're kidding me. Uh, you're talking about that, um, about the early years. I was thinking with Scott Spedding the other night and I was just laughing for half an hour while you were going through all <laughs> And talk to us about Ireland then, because the, the game itself, obviously, you guys were were very impressive but you mentioned the recent record so what's it like facing Ireland because there's lots of talk in the media over here at the moment about how they're very predictable but clearly they've been predictably good over the past sort of nine or ten years so what's it like facing them? Ireland's definitely one of the teams we look up to and they've got a great kicking game they're, they're really structured and, and they've got great individual players as well especially with Johnny Sexton controlling it so well and um, yeah they, they were ranked number one in not long ago like the Two years ago, they were number one in the world. So, yeah, just a, a great team to play. It's definitely the most physical game I've had in the Six Nations. It was so brutal. The scrums, I don't know if you saw the scrums. It was 20-second long scrums. No one was going forward. And it was the most tiring and physical game, definitely, that I've played in the Six Nations. Um, I'm just glad we've got, we've got good players and we, we rounded off pretty well. We only had like 40% ball position, but I think we did really well in our kicking game as well. 
that's a sector we worked on so hard for this for this last year. We sort of realized you have to have a good kicking game where before we just kicked when we were under pressure. Now we just now we try to, to find space with and use kick, kicking as a as a way of attack. And um yeah, we were, that's the one thing about Ireland. You no, know, we we know they've got a game plan. As soon as you get them out of the game plan, they they get a bit of loss sometimes. Um, yeah, that was that was the main goal for the game. Just just try to sort of ruin the game plan, have a good kicking game, and and just play with the players we've got with the individual skill and stuff. I'm not surprised you're tired, mate. I saw this morning you were the, the tournament's top tackler. You weighed in with 87, so well done. Not bad at Thank all. Thank you very much. Um, and I want to go back to generally, in terms of the group and the feeling, like, like, you know, we just had a laugh, but obviously Girado and Poirot and guys have held their hands up and said, look, I've had enough. I want to retire. Age 27, 28. You know, young guys saying they've had enough. You've been through the hard period. You now look like you're on course with great talent, with good coaches in place. You rocking in the second row. How good does it feel to be part of a French side that is up here and operating at a high level. Yeah, just to get back to that, I told my missus I would retire after, because I had a tough run with Guy Neves, and um, after that, I was a bit in a bad mental space as well. So I told my missus, listen, I'll retire after the World Cup. And then going into the World Cup, I saw this young group coming through, and the great players you've got, Fabian's absolutely brilliant in what he does. And um, we had to speak, speak with my missus, and I told them, listen, I need, I need to continue. I need, I think this group's going to win something. So much talent coming through. And um, I think French rugby's actually going to win something in the next four years. So I'm going to stick in here and see how long I can, I can still go. But it's, yeah, the, the vibe in the team is unbelievable. It's, it's, it's a young group. It's a new generation. Um, things are going well. I think the way they treat us in the French camp is different as well. Um, where we've got a lot more freedom as well to do stuff we want to do, to, to speak up, to say what we want to do. And we've got the talent as well. We've got good nine tens. We've got... I think we've got a good team that's that's actually com- complementary to each other. So um, yeah, we've got good ball carriers, good good um, nine ten, good walkers, horses like they call us. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just we've got a good balance in the team that's that's doing really well. We work tremendous. I've never ever trained like that. It's, Fabian is it's all about high intensity and, and big trainings. But afterwards, it's like after every game, we we get on the beers and we have a good time as well. So um, yeah, it's it's just heaps of fun it's the first time in, in, in since I've been in the seven years that it's that it's just fun it's I enjoy being there it's actually better than being at the club at this moment so so that's that's great yeah yeah that that's amazing to hear mate can you can you give us like a little insight to be honest on appointing the new captain so Charles Olivon uh, we saw him coming through the ranks you and I um, always a charismatic very good player with a lot of a lot of charisma a lot of self-belief and obviously very good but there was big big boots to fill to fill right you know a, a lack of experience and on top of that being captain at the same time is a bit bit all thing I have to say I think he, he blew my mind away during the Six Nations because I thought he not only was he very good as a captain he gave that aura and he represented that feeling like you said boys yeah. look like they're happy yeah, they're happy, they genuinely like each other, and there's this good melting between each other. And on top of that, he delivered some top performance. So, what, what do you think about his leadership and stuff? Oh, he's a great captain. Uh, I think it's a tough role to take after Terry Dusitois and, and, and Guillaume that had to give the, the losing speech after every game. I, I think that's not a role I want to, <laughs> I, w- I would have liked to have. So, he just beats up any story. He's got a nice rugby story. He's almost having a career ending injury coming back, becoming French captain, and he's he's you can see he's really enjoying it. And and what I think he does great, he, he sort of shares the captain role. There's a few leaders in the team and he, he doesn't take any everything on himself. He he gets guys in and he, he attracts a lot of guys that, that invest in the in the captaincy role. So yeah, it's it's great and he's doing brilliant. He's really a good captain. 
he's not he, he talks when he needs to talk he doesn't talk all the time he doesn't talk too much he just says things at the right time and um yeah he's, he's, i'm so proud of him he's, he's doing great as a captain you mentioned fabian and how good he's been we've spoken about him quite a lot on the show ben jefferson knows him well there were some question marks at club level he seems to be doing incredibly well at international level and benji said i think that's where he he fits so just talk to us about not just his coaching where obviously he's he's a brilliant coach but his manner management as well of players off the pitch how have you found that i think what they did really well is they then picked all the staff and yeah i wouldn't like to work with fabian for 11 months he's it's, it's so <laughs> intense man like when we get to french camp everything training wise it's so intense but he's brilliant for this short burst of time like two three months during the world cup now during six nations he's absolutely so good rugby wise now I, I think what they did well they brought in um rafael Ibanez. Ibanez. and um he's sort of looking after the players and this human side of the of the team so he's organizing outings everything to do with media so fabian's just concentrating on rugby where he's great and, and we've got great fitness conditioning coaches where i feel like in the, in the past for the for the first five years i was afraid we were always chasing what the all blacks was doing or what england was doing and we're comparing stats and it's the first time i actually feel we're we're almost seeing how can we get ahead of them how can we just we're at the, the awesome. next level so so we, we're not chasing other teams anymore i feel we we're taking the players we've got, we see where our strong point is, what, what the team's doing great, and we're working towards that and doing things that suits us, not chasing other other teams and other stats. So that's, I think, a big difference. That's awesome. And a guy that obviously will add to that massively and somebody that you've clearly bought into with your defensive effort is Sean Edwards, who we've spoken that's about a lot great. as well. He's an amazing character. But how has he fitted in? Obviously, he's revolutionized your defensive systems, the way you are as a team. You look so much more coherent defensively. Um, but how is he getting on? How is his French? And what kind of impact have, has he had on you, you as a group? First of all, I always said I'd never get into coaching because I never had a passion for coaching until I saw Sean Edwards. And I, I got home one day and I told my missus, I said, listen, I want to do what this guy's doing. He's brilliant. He's, he's extraordinary. The way he works the players, he, he always looks like he's angry. When he's on the job, <laughs> he's just <laughs> so honoured. And technically, he's, he's changed the whole mindset about contesting and tackling and small techniques. He does small drills. It, it's, it never lasts more than five minutes in training. So he'd have us three, three times during a training for five minutes, and it would be at 100%. And he's just so effective. His video session is like 30 seconds, 30 seconds long, and he shows two images, and he said, look at this. This is shit. <laughs> and then he shows another image, look at this. This is good. This is what we need to do. Go. So he's so effective, short, intense, and um, great bloke. And he's, he's great on the beers after the game as well. Man. He's, <laughs> so he's just a good, he's a good team guy. And um, yeah, we're, the guy, he's, he's settling in well. He's actually he's made a massive effort with French as well. He's speaking. He's doing his video sessions in French. It's short and sharp, but he's, he's getting there. And he's, 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 I, he told me he's doing a lot of French course in his room online. So yeah, he's, he's settling in nice. He just shouts, placage, placage. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> placage. Most of them, Blackers, oh, fucking hell, man, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's such a good bloke. He's really good for the team. And, mate, you were a little bit naughty. We, we can't skip over it. Um, <laughs> but you nearly missed that game against Ireland with a little bit of naughtiness um, against yeah. Wales and our old mate Alan Wynne-Jones. So I just wanted to ask you briefly, I thought during the game you were lucky to get away with it. How yeah. did you feel once you got sighted? Because normally once you get sighted, something's going to happen. So how relieved were you and how fortunate did you feel to get lucky and get off with your, your crimes? I didn't even really notice it happened during the game. Only after the game when I saw the videos that I saw, oh, this looks bad. Um, 
<laughs> so I was pretty stressed. I didn't sleep for two days. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have another band because I've, I've got quite a history with tackling and, and, and rucking and obviously being that, that's sort of my job, the physicality part of the game. Yeah, so super stressed off the game. It was really accidental, even if, although a lot of people don't think about it, at least there were, weren't the scrubble on the ground after the tackle. Um, I don't know if you've seen the image, but I fall off my left hand in a really awkward position. So my shoulder sort of bent behind my back and I was really looking to go to ground with my forearm. And my arm just sort of slid, slid over his face. And I know it looked really bad. It looked horrible. But honestly, it was accidental. I'm, I'm buying this. It was a complete accident. I would have loved to see the face of your lawyer when you tried to explain that one. Yeah. I would have been hiding under the table, mate, with like sweat drops. I was. I was yeah, it's pretty embarrassing and, and you feel bad about it. Rugby's rugby, Bernie. You're here to smash people. It's a contest. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Alwyn Jones took offense at all. Okay, no. Rugby is a battle. Rugby is a physical side. Yeah. I think that last elbow was too much and you were lucky. But if you got away, then fair play. Who gives a shit? Finisher. Go on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Then go on to win things. Learn learn from that and then do it again. Just not that last, last <laughs> elbow. That's it. Yeah. It was an accident. We've heard it. It was, it, an it was accidental. Like, what, it was really accidental, even though you guys don't think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad I got got off there and um, good. I'm on for the for the rest of the year. So. And moving forwards now, looking ahead. So Autumn Nations Cup. We know we've we've spoken loads on here about what's been going on behind the scenes between the FFR and the LNR. I suppose give us an insight into how that's been for you guys being kind of in the middle of it, first of all. But also then moving ahead. Do you know what games you're going to be involved in? Do you know how much you're going to be involved in? Yeah, so we've only got one one game left, and they they chose, they already chose the game against the team for the Fiji team for the Fiji game. So we're probably going to play Fiji if they don't have too much COVID positive tests. You've, I don't know if you guys saw, but they've got a few um, players test positive. So yeah, then we're back at the club. So we've got one game left. And then obviously turnaround. I think in, for us, it's a bit disruptive always having this thing in between the FFR and the LNR. Everyone's financially in trouble. And uh, we understand that side as well, but it, it's, it's, it's a really difficult situation for us. We had meetings with Proval just before and they explained to us, listen, so what, what can actually happen if you if you refuse selection? You can get suspended. You can have financial penalties. And then if you refuse the club, so you can have financial penalized penalties as well. So you, we were sitting there in the middle like, okay, so what do we do? Do we say no to the club? Do we say no to the federation? And they didn't have solutions. Like, they were just telling us, listen, you can get penalties for doing this or penalties for doing that. We were sitting in the middle like, like and we had meetings we're like, just, can you just tell us what to do so we can make a collective decision and just all do the same thing? Because we don't want to have problems with our clubs. Obviously, that's that's where we, we, we make most of our living. So, And that's we, we got to the French team because of our club. So, yeah, it was really difficult and tough, but um, that's done and behind us now. We've played our three games and that's the choices that's been made. And I think it's good for the other players to get a chance as well to play to play in a competition and, and maybe maybe get some depth. Who are you looking forward to seeing coming through, mate? Because um, obviously, you know, Fabian's stuck with this team and he's sort of stuck to his guns with the same selection through the Six Nations and the first game of the Autumn Nations Cup. But of the guys you've been training with that we maybe haven't seen that much of, but you've obviously played against in the top 14, who are you looking forward to seeing coming through and getting capped or getting more experience? I don't really know who's going to pick, but um, yeah, just getting depth. At, we've got a, we've got such good flyers and, and, and scrum-offs, I think. Um, Baptiste Seren is mm. definitely get him to play 80 minutes because playing over four years you're going to have injuries and that's that's key position so I, I would just say um, yeah changing the, the fly from the scrum off and, and getting 
other guys to run the game and, and get a bit of experience. Because Fabian sort of told us, listen, he's going to stick to the same team. Even even if you have to have a few bad, you're going to play yourself out of the team, but he's going to try to stick with the team and, and grow this team to the next World Cup, which I think is a great thing because France, French rugby has chopped and changed so much over the last five or six years. So, yeah, I just think getting depth, um, maybe getting a, a different captain in as well, getting giving someone else that captaincy role. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say key positions is 9 and 10. And then, obviously, locks. I would, I would love seeing... seeing um, um, Fabian Sankoni coming in at, at lock maybe he's, he's the third row but I think he's got the same you're just, you're just saying that you want 10 locks to come in so you can go back and play 6 or 7 that's it that's the only reason no but out of, out of seriousness out of seriousness I know when, so Bernie and I shared a, a summer tour in New Zealand three times in New Zealand in a row in 2013 and that's when he started really hitting playing at 7 and stuff so your commitment on the field has never been even a question it was a matter of can you be more effective international level as a lock or could you play both and this and that. But it's actually so good to have somebody so mobile who can still or do all the, the graft in, in the lock. That that's why I think that they pushed you basically to go there. And I yeah. know at first you were a little bit reluctant because obviously it's not, your, it's not your, 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 your absolute pride from the start. But now, do you enjoy it now? I do enjoy it. I've I made a mental shift. I always told myself I won't move to lock before 30 years. So I just eat 30 <laughs> and um so so you look I'm, 50, I'm, you I'm look might, 50, so you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I might have a five or six extra years if I move to lock. Um, yeah, then just getting wrapping my head around modern locks, being mo more mobile and, and sort of doing the same thing as a third row. And, and that's where the French team were heading as well, having a mobile team that, that can still be physical. So I definitely think that's going to be the profile in the next few years for the, for the French locks as well. So I think uh, you'll see a lot more loose forward, bigger loose forwards moving to lock and being picked in that position in the French team as well. That's why I said Fabian Sarconi, I think he's, exactly. he's great for to replace someone like me at, at four. We'll have bigger five locks, but at four, you, we would like more. Um, I think that's what they would like, more mobile locks, yeah. And how did that move into the second row come about? Did someone pull you to one side and have a chat and say, this is where we think, or was it just natural? Someone said, you're playing there, do it. They've, they've, they've always sort of, when we had, at the clubs, when we had problems and stuff, I was a, big loose forward and they'd always say, listen, Benny, would you mind shifting to lock for this big game? Um, I played the 2016 um, European Cup final and, and the top 14 final at lock as well because we had a lot of injuries at lock. Um, so I've, I've played that role, but I was never comfortable there. I was, I like to be in first contact. I love contact. That's that's what I'm going to like. I, I've played 43 tests and I've never scored a try. So <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I really like the physicality part of the game. That's that's what I enjoy doing. So being a Lucy and getting to the first breakdown and, and just the first tackling. And that's obviously what I like. But I try to do the same thing on lock now. And, and, I, and I guess that that's where the team needs me. So I'll, I'll stick in there for as long as I can. I thought the lack of tries was just you had so many assists. It's because you're always setting other people up. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, man. Um, well, let's go back to, to when you moved over to France now, just, just stepping back in time a little bit, because we've spoken to quite a lot of guys on here about what the adjustment is like. So when you first came over, first of all, you were very close to signing a contract. I read somewhere that it might have been the next day you were due to sign for Jake White and the Lions. So talk to us yeah. about how the move to Racing short term initially, how that came about and, um, and just how you found it moving to France. Yeah, so I was I was actually with the Springbok Sevens on camp, and I was supposed to sign with the Lions, and then I had a three month three month break. It was September two thousand nine, so I had a three month break before Super Rugby started. And I saw, and my agent came to me and he said, "Listen, there's this French team that's injured. Would you like to go over for three months as a medical joker?" 
so I, for me, I'm, I was from a small farm town in South Africa. Um, been to Europe once. I played in Amsterdam for two months. So, yeah, coming to France was a big shift for me. But I thought it's a good experience getting out there for three months, just playing a bit. When I arrived here with 100 euros in my pocket, my mom gave me 100 euros, 19 years old. Got to the airport and they sent me a text and they told me, just grab a taxi or a train. So I've never, ever been on a taxi or a train. I'm from a small town in South Africa. Like, I don't even know how this works. And um, and the taxi cost me 97 euros to get to that. <laughs> I, I was left with three euros, man. <laughs> three euros. What did you buy with the three euros? Coffee or there? <laughs> no, at least I had a bank card as well. But yeah, my cash was gone. And then I picked up racing and I, I didn't even know who played for racing. Man. I was just, I never watched Top 14 as a kid, watched Super Rugby growing up in South Africa. And um, God, yeah, and there was Sebastian Schball, Francois Stein, Andrew Mertens, just some really big, big players. And I was, yeah, it was, it was just so much fun and learning from the, and it's, I think it's easier if you walk into a team like that, just taking a bit of all that great players and, and trying to copy what they're doing. And so I just sort of evolved fast then and they the year after that they asked me if they can sign me for three more years so i just thought i thought okay might as well stay and make the most of it and 10 years later i'm still here uh, enjoying it loving it mate that's ridiculous so the first part of what you said there was you've gone from playing springbok sevens to second row for the french national team that's amazing <laughs> yeah i actually never played for this for the springbok sevens i, I was just in training camp and I, I played a few friendlies and stuff i was with them for four months but yeah, just, just coming up as an academy player in South Africa and then ending up in France for three months stint and staying 10 years. And obviously, so growing up as a young kid, you obviously dreamt of playing for the Springbok. As anyone does growing up in South Africa, you want to play Springboks. At what stage in your career, you signed for three more years and you're then within the French system. At what stage did you start to realize, Yo, geez, I think I've got a real shot of playing for this French side and that Springbok dream kind of fading away? First of all, growing up as a kid, I was, I was quite a big swimmer. I, I was swimming up until the age of 17, 18, and then I was playing for my school's first rugby team. And um, I, I didn't even want to play rugby. I didn't thought I was that good. And this guy, Alan Zondach, his son actually coaches to lose now. He came to me and he told me, listen, I think you can be a good rugby player. And I thought, no, nah, man, I'm from a small school. The only reason I'm good is because I play with a school with 300 boys in. So I, I can't even compete with the big schools. I've never played big stage rugby. And so I wanted to go study marine biologist to become marine biologist. And um, so that rugby dream, Always enjoyed playing at club rugby, having a few beers. And then this guy pitched up and I went to his academy for a year. And then things just started happen, happening and um, I enjoyed the journey. Um, but I like I never thought I was going to play for the Springboks or play international rugby or even play professional. So things happened pretty fast. And um, arriving in France, obviously arriving in racing, there's so many different nationalities. I think one of the reasons I did well was because I felt like I represented South Africa in a way in the, in the start, like everyone had this vision of South Africans being hard and tough and tackling and being big boys. So I thought oh, I have to live up to this, to this sort of stigma that's, that's built around South African rugby players. And I just tried to harden up and, 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 and be at that level. And yeah, that things just started happening. And after, I think it was 2012 when Philippe Andre came to see me the first time just before six days and said, listen, would you be interested in getting picked for the French team? And um, I was the end of my contract as well with, with racing that year. And, and Heineken Mayer came to see me just before he became Springbok coach. And he told me, come back to the Bulls. I promise you within three months you'd play, you'd play, you'd be up for selection for the Springboks. And then I just decided, now I'm going to stay. I really like France. I've just started learning 
um, the language. I really enjoy the culture. I enjoy the boys. I enjoy the just being outside of South Africa and experience something new. So that's why I made my choice to to sort of stay in France and give 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 playing for the French team a go. And um, yeah, I've, that worked out pretty well, and I really enjoy it. I'm I'm still happy with my choice today. Bernie, you, you mentioned Philippe Saint-André coming up and seeing you and stuff. So Philippe Saint-André was the first one who picked Rory Cocotte, who picked Noah Nakatasi, who picked Bernie, who picked Daniel Cote, a tight at proper plays in Castres. Um, and every single time there was a foreigner picked, it was a big deal in French press. It was, you know, another foreigner and this and that, and he's cutting corners. And all of a sudden, for the last six months, we've never heard a problem with a foreigner. We've never put a problem with Paul Villemse has been smoking it. Nobody says anything. Virim Ivakatawa was born in Paris all of a sudden. And, and you're, you're, you know, uh, born and bred here. So there's clearly also something that, and, and I in, include myself in it, that the old French team did wrong in terms of welcoming foreign players into the team. You know, if you got picked, you never stole the jersey off anyone. You got called to come here. You, did, you didn't ask for it. And then you did your hardest. Probably the only one was Winnie Antonio, the massive prop from La Rochelle, but because he was so fluent and, and so easy to socialize with that they did well. So the, my first question is, do you think there's a different way that foreigners are welcomed into the French team and what is it they're doing best? And the second is if you could sort of, I don't know if in England people saw that, but you guys did a, a remise des maillots, a, a handing out jersey before the game against Ireland, which I thought, honestly, because I was working for French TV, I saw the whole thing, was absolutely beautiful. What they did is, under the numbers of each players on the jerseys, they wrote the clubs where they were from. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, it's meant to be sort of a jersey thing. Galtier spoke about his dad. He was in tears. Virimi Vakatawa just looked at the jersey and saw the tiny little club from Fiji where he was from and couldn't say a word and almost shot into tears as well. Bernie had something hilarious to say that I'll let you comment after because I thought it was very funny. Um, and all the boys, it was just the, the proud of where you're from and, and that thing. So is that one of the reasons why all the foreigners are so more foreigners or new French, if you want to say, whatever, yeah. um, are so more welcomed and, and how? I think the group's really easy on where, where bef before I, you sort of felt like an outsider. It's now a lot more welcoming. It is definitely the, the thing is we're all, we're all fluent in French right now. So we communicate. I remember playing my first test. I, I, I needed you to do me. I wasn't speaking French that well at the time. And I was literally sleeping on Google Translate, trying to get phrases for the next day's media. <laughs> and so I think, yeah, I was stressed out in the beginning and it was, you sort of didn't feel that comfortable. Where now is everyone that's there has been there for a while. We'll speak good French and we're good mates, the coaches. And and I think the thing that Banner put in place, you have to be a five-year and have a French passport and have French nationality. That's also a big thing. So we sort of, it's a big thing. You just, you didn't just become French. You, you chose to become French. You, you chose to apply for that passport and, and become part of the culture and the country. So I think there's a bit of extra respect for in, in that as well. But yeah, it's so welcoming. And, and the team, it's all about rugby now. It's it's rugby having a good time, rugby with, and, and the respect within rugby. All the, yeah, the whole stigma around it is is, is great. It's it's not as stressful as it was before to be a foreigner in the French team. Well done. And talk to us about that jersey ceremony then. What did you say? <laughs> I just I just told where I'm from. And uh, and uh, obviously what we did, uh, it's hilarious for the guys if you tell them you played barefoot rugby until the age of 13 years old because Kids in South Africa can't afford boots. They grow at an immense pace at that age. So you, you, you play barefoot until the age of 13 years old. And when I, when I turned 14, my mom bought me my first pair of boots, but it was like three sizes too big. 
So I had to play with it for the next four years. I was running like <laughs> McDonald's up there with my, <laughs> my, my shoes that was too big. And um, yeah, but I've, I've always enjoyed being around the amateur rugby clubs and, and the whole vibe around that. That's still my favorite memory of rugby. Although I've, I've had a, quite a few good memories that amateur rugby and just your own club, that's, that stays special. And all this talk about foreign-born players and, and foreigners in the French team, am I right in saying your ancestors are from Normandy? So you're, you're French, are you? Yeah, yeah. I think Benji was a bit easier for me as, as my name's Bernard Leroux. Um, <laughs> I think everyone didn't realise, like Rory Cock and those guys, it's, it's pretty, or Van der Merve or whatever, that's pretty South African name, but they didn't realise when they read in the newspaper, Bernard Leroux, so it's a French name, so I don't think I felt as much pressure as the rest. Bernie the ginger, that's what it means, <laughs> yeah, Bernie the ginger. Exactly. The <laughs> um, and so going back to that time again when you moved over, so lots of people have spoken about how different it is in France. You're clearly one of the perfect examples of, of how much you've taken to life in France and you love it and you've stayed. Talk to us about the coaching. So back in South Africa compared to when you moved over to France, what are the kind of differences in, in coaching? I think arriving here, the first thing I realized, it was, it was a lot more men- emotional. They were, they were playing with so much emotions. Like coaching is one thing, 80% emotions, 20% coaching. So it was all about psyching up a team to getting ready for the weekends. There's 36 games a year, whatever. So just getting everyone amped to play the weekend. Um, yeah, I still remember my first game. I'm used to sitting in the corner and having a little prayer and being pretty relaxed before the game. And Sebastian's ball woke up. Oh, he, yeah, he walked up to me. And he sort of pulled me. He's like, Bernie, are you ready for the game? I was looking at this big guy with a beard. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so, um, yeah, but the coaching is, is different. We, also, we always had a few international coaches in the beginning with Simon Mannix and um, a lot of foreigners involved as well. So, yeah, it was just interesting for me to learn from, not just from the coaches, but the players as well. I think it's great for a young player to come to a club with a a lot of different cultures and, and, and techniques and different ways of doing things and, and mixing that, trying to mix that up is, yeah, it's a privilege to have as a, to have as a young player. And have you seen that improve quite a lot? Because obviously during your entire time in France, there's been lots of, you know, New Zealand-based coaches, South Africans come into, into the top 14 and coach. And now you're working with Fabian Galtier, with Sean Edwards. So whether it's at Racing, whether it's with France, have you seen the coaching improve a lot over that period? Oh, definitely. The coaching and the level of the top 14 is improving immensely. If I compare it to 10 years ago, it's you can't even compare. It's not the same game. Coaching and, and style of playing has changed so much. And I guess that's with a lot of foreigners coming in. I think France is opening up to, to more foreigners as well. But but the French coach has also improved massively. Um, I mean, we've, we've got Laurent Javert and Laurent Labitte that was with us. Technically, they were so good. They were probably the best coaches I've ever had. Um, so, yeah, yeah, everyone... Coaching has definitely gone a big, a lot bigger and better in, in France over the, over the last few years. And Racing have obviously been on a massive journey as well um, since you started to wear that. Now you've won titles, um, not quite clinched that European crown. Like we saw the disappointment, obviously, at the end of the game, a big win for them backing up and going to Stade Francais and winning. But how close now with the progression that you've seen and the team that's evolved over the next few years or next that has evolved over the past four or five years, do you think that was your your moment, your best chance to win this year, or do you still think you've got a chance moving forward? Yeah, I I went to see Juan Imov before the game, and I told him, "Listen, if we don't win it this year, I really hope we get to win it next year because I don't know how long this team we've got a we've got a, a few players I think that's peaking at the moment. They will peak over the next two or three years. Finn Russell's in great form, Jeremy's in excellent form. We've got a good pack of forwards, so 
hopefully in this next year or two we can have another shot at it. Um, I feel like our team, our senior players, is is peaking at the moment, and we've got great form. We've got loads of internationals, and, but yeah, it was it was a really tough loss for us. Um, third time, third European Cup. I think the first one we deserved to lose against against Saracens. That was great. The second one was really physical, and this one we were really well prepared for. We um, we didn't start off the game really well, so. Yeah, but I'm um, really gutted about that loss. It was it was tough for the team. <clears throat> uh, I was yeah, I was sort of happy to go with the French team straight away the week after just to get my mind elsewhere because that was really one of my goals this year um, to win a European Cup. We've won a top four, and I would really like to win another top fourteen. But but European Cups updates one of the, the great titles to have, and um, hopefully we get another shot at it in the in the next few years. We'll we'll definitely be going harder. That's that's our club's main goal at the moment to get a get a star on the jersey don't feel too bad mate some some guys have gone through a whole career without ever winning a champions cup huh? and winning winning a lot of finals it doesn't take anything away from the quality of the team the quality of the players your resilience whatever it's just shit happens high competition yeah, yeah that's true I, I, benji you know all about about losing finals i mean you've been <laughs> you said it <laughs> it is it is yeah it's it's tough especially the few weeks following it's mentally it's it's tough getting up for the games often knowing you have to start over doing all that work and having all that um, ambition to, to go there but yeah that's that's part of the game happy to be there um hopefully i don't get another silver medal and hopefully the next one's gold <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the final moments in that game, Bernie. Like we saw the camera pan to you and your, your reaction as that turnover was won by Exeter on the try line. Um, and obviously the disappointment on the bench, you were front and center and obviously devastated. Was there a, a call on the field for a drop goal? Have you got that in your armory at Racing? That was the one thing I wanted to ask. Was there a call on the field at that time? Was that the disappointment we saw on the bench or was it just something that what that didn't happen? What exactly happened? Not, I don't know if this... If the moment was a bit too big, but we actually trained it. We, we had a few phases on the post. We've trained it in the week that we would go to a drop goal. I don't know why it wasn't called. We were screaming from the bench, take the three points and drop goal, and, and it didn't happen on the field. So, yeah, it's just one of those moments you regret. Um, the option was there. We did train it in the week. We For that game, you always train, train that situation. So having a drop goal or playing extra time or you play all the situations, um, having a red card. So, so we did train it. And... Obviously, we didn't we didn't go to that option, and yeah, so it's it's devastating, but that's that's part of it. It's a team sport, so we, we'll take it on the chin and, and move on to the next one. Next year, mate. Next year's your Hopefully. year. Hopefully. <laughs> and you mentioned um, how good Lauren is, um, and how difficult it is, obviously, after after losing a final like that. Just give us an insight into what he said afterwards, and, and how he's kind of. I know you you left and you went up and joined up with with France, but how has he kind of lifted the spirits after that? Yeah, so after the game, no one talked. No one talked. Everyone was devastating. They said they'll leave it to the analysts. To they, we had options to score, we had options to win this game, and everyone was devastated. So no one spoke to me. Not, not even the president spoke too much. Um, I think everyone was just really sad for the club at the, at the moment that we we led past. Um, afterwards, apparently they were we we had this Paris derby, which is also really important for the club and all the Parisian sponsors and stuff. So. There was a big game to get hyped up. I think the following week, we struggled a bit mentally. That South Francais game, we sort of wanted to prove ourselves right, win a game and, and just move on. But I think the yeah, the, it, it is tough on the team, mentally staying staying motivated. And I think until the next European Cup starts, uh, we'll, we'll have to work on our mental side of the game just to be up there every weekend and go out after, after that. Well, luckily, you don't have long to wait. It's, it's only a few weeks away <laughs> and then we're back into it. So it's crazy yeah. at the moment. 
Just a guy you mentioned there, Finn Russell, just give us an insight into to what it's like to play alongside him. I mean, <laughs> do, you, do you know what he's going to do from one minute to the next? Oh, we've got absolutely no idea, man. We'll be training about kicking it out of the 22 and then this, he runs it everywhere. Or you, you, Even us that play with him, he's so unpredictable. We don't know what he's going to do. He's, he's always on fire and he's, he's so unpredictable. He's, he's a funny guy. He's such a relaxed dude. He's, he's, he's eating M&Ms and, and dancing like two minutes before kickoff. He's just so relaxed and all over the place. But that's, the, that's his style and that's the way he plays. And, and he's, he's a great bloke. And, yeah, I'm really, really fortunate to play with him, and, and he's such an attacking flyer. It's different to, to what we had in the past. Um, obviously, we had Dan Carter, Pat Lamy, that I thought was great, but Finn's, Finn's just got that X factor, and it's it's fun playing with him. And he, he enjoys he enjoys challenges so much. Like when he plays against a big flyer, you know he's always going to be on. So, yeah. You mentioned eating M and M's before the game, though. His <laughs> his warm up seems to consist of him juggling the balls, doing <laughs> kick ups. Are you involved in that with him? Are you doing that? Oh, no, 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 man. When go there, he's got he's got some crazy skill. His his ball skills and his vision is unbelievable, and he's pretty strong. I so we were we were split up in small groups um, during preseason training in five players in a group during COVID when we started preseason, and he was in my group. And I was doing 50s or 55s on dumbbells and 200 on, on, on deadlifts. And this guy, like, he picks up. Oh, yeah, he pitches up. Didn't even warm up nothing. He just does 50s on dumbbell and deadlifts. And he, when you look at him, you say, oh, this guy can't pick up five kilograms, man. <laughs> but he's, <laughs> he's so strong. He's like a natural freak. He's so, so strong. And he's, um, he's pretty good after the game, eh? Good on the beers? <laughs> He's, that's his best. <laughs> no, he's a good bloke. He's a good team bloke. He's, everyone, yeah, everyone enjoys him. He's such a friendly guy and he's always positive, um, especially with him and Simon Zuba having them, the two of them in the team. I think they're great for the team vibe as well, just uh, just getting out of, outside of rugby as well. They, they're just such a big part of the team. And just talk to us a little bit about, for people who haven't been there, the, the La Defense Arena it's like a spaceship. It's like something, it's like no other rugby ground on the planet. So do you feel a bit like a rock star when you turn up there? <laughs> it is pretty cool, especially winter time when it's two, three degrees outside and you get to play in, inside in 22 degrees every weekend. That's yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's uh, compared. I know Benji played at the previous stadium. We had Cologne. It was, it didn't smell really nice in there. It's the horrendous, man. <laughs> it was the worst. It's the it's saddest place. It's the saddest place you could possibly <laughs> play rugby. It feels like the sun never shines in Colombe. It was just grey <laughs> everywhere. It's an old Olympic stadium that was built like almost 100 years ago that the French team used to play in before the Parc des Princes, before the Stade de France. Imagine how old that was. And I mean, they used to get 100,000 people almost standing in Cologne, but now nothing's changed since the 1950s. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the stands were about to collapse and there's not a piece of grass a kilometer around. So that did not help, basically. <laughs> that's brilliant. I think we actually had a, a mental advantage playing there because teams hated going there and playing there. But now with the, with the La, La Defensa Arena, it's, it's different and um, teams pitch up and it's, it's, yeah, like I said, the ball's dry, so you get running rugby every week. And I think for a spectator, Tater's point of view, it's it's great for our supporters. Our supporters, we've yeah, we've had average our average support has gone up so much since we have the we've been there. Especially because yeah, it's it's I think there's halftime shows. It's it's not just rugby and it's it's based in a nice area as well. So guys have a Saturday or Sunday outing going there and it's it's great for the team playing that conditions every weekend. And you mentioned moving into the second row might prolong your career and, and you've obviously still got a load of goals, win the European Cup, hopefully win something with this exciting new French team. So just talk, us, talk to us about what the future holds for you and how long, how long you think you might go on playing for. 
you know, you're not allowed yet. No, no, no. I just turned 31. So hopefully I can, I would love to, to play my third World Cup. That's definitely one of my main goals just to get there. And then I'm, I would, I would say I'm done after that, that season following the World Cup. Um, then I'd be 34 years old. So that's my main goal, just getting there and looking, taking care of this, this body, having, I'm a bit sore after these two games. Uh, the recovery takes a bit longer, but um, I'm still up for it. I still enjoy it. I, I always, Told my family as well the day I don't enjoy it anymore, I'll, I'll stop. But um, I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying this French team. I'm enjoying the racing team. It's it's good guys. We've got great team vibes. And um, yeah, I'm just having so much fun at the moment. So I'll definitely push it and, and push this body as hard as it can go for the, for the next four years to, to try and make the World Cup side in, in France in 2023. That's great to hear. And then we've already heard that after that next World Cup, you're going to be Sean Edwards' apprentice. for. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I can, I can have a few tips, but... Um, now I've got a few different projects as well that I'm that I'm running at the time. So um, yeah, I, I would like to stay involved in rugby, but on a, on a permanent basis. I would like to do some consulting or amateur clubs or something. I I won't go straight into 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 coaching big teams. And you're settled in France. So you're going to stay in France for the long term. Yeah, I've got I've got some stuff back home as well. We've we've got a family farm and. Um, I've got some of my investments set up in Paris. So I'll I'll be in between the two, but I've, I've got kids now, so well, I have to make a choice. But I, I think I'll I'll stay around France. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the culture. I've, I've been here for over a third of my life, so most of my friends and stuff's over here as well. So I, I think I'll I'll stay in France for as long as possible. That's great. Well, thanks ever so much for joining us, and a, a big good luck for the start of the Autumn Nations Cup, and then when you're back with wrestling for the um, the European Cup, which is only a few weeks away. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Nice chatting to you. Cheers, man. Cheers, Bernie. Go well. Go well, Autumn Nations. Come on. Win another appreciate one. It. Good luck. Cheers. Take care, bud. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
great lad, eh? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really good to see him just being himself, happy, positive, and absolutely crushing it on the field. I mean, his move to the second row was a big one. He didn't like it at first, and now he's enjoying it. At first, every single time a foreigner would make a mistake, you know, you would say, oh, it's a foreigner, it's a foreigner. Now, look, they've got French passports. Maybe they were born in South Africa, some of them, or in Fiji or whatever. But it's not even a, 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 a question of do they deserve to be there. So that's that whole unity is there. And I mentioned that that jersey ceremony. Honestly, it, it was it was a beautiful moment. Like I said to you, Galtier can be a, a troubled dude and stuff. He opened up like I've never seen him. Uh, he, he picked up that jersey and he started talking about his former home club where his father was the head coach and basically created the home club because in his little village it didn't exist. And he, he just started started crying, got all choked up and he just like opening himself to 20 year olds in front of him. He said, oh, I never spoke to it about it and whatever. It was really, really something powerful. And then big Bernie comes in and then speaks about, you know, his shoe size and then Vakatawa. I thought he was going to be happy as Larry, a little Fijian born, you know, coming up. And he actually was just like, it's the first time I see the name of my club linked to French rugby. And then he was trying to say something else and he couldn't, and he completely choked. You could tell that he was really, he's like, I'm going to do well. I'm going to do well. He sat, sat back down. You know, it's those powerful moments that I was inc incredibly jealous of not having lived, but I was just so happy to see them finally opening up, uh, finally being themselves. Uh, Gail Fiku had a fantastic chat. Uh, uh, Boutier, Boutier, the, 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 the well, fullback, eh? just rocks up. He's like, boys, four years ago, I was playing <laughs> in National 2. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. well, actually, it's the only title I've got in my life because I won a reserves under a uh, 12 aside rugby regional sort of tournament. <laughs> and the guy's about to win, like play sort of a Six Nations final and says, that's my only title. I would love to get another one, please. That was four years ago. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, he was working as a builder not so long ago, wasn't he, BT? Yeah, yeah, I think he was a, a, a maçon. Uh, how do you call that? Like, yeah, builder. Yeah. Brick a builder. Yeah. A bricky. Brick layer, yeah. Man, it, was, it was just too good. And same as the Greg Aldrich, the big number eight, who was smoking every time, who's had his third man of the match, I think, consecutively or something. Four years ago, he was playing amateur rugby. So they've got different sort of backgrounds. And, this, and then you see Romain Tamak, first club, Stade Toulouse. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> some of us are born differently, but he's killing it. So no, I thought, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, it was very great. It was just a great idea. And linked to that, Fabian has been very good on playing for the fans, hasn't he? The fans can't be there, but 100%. we've heard lots about him saying, you guys are playing for the people that can't be here watching us now. Yeah, and until the end, and after the game on his Twitter account, he said, look, it's been absolutely magical, but it's just the start. Like, we're doing this for you. Don't forget, this is just the start. It's the start of a journey. We've got a young team and it's only going to get better. So... It's amazing. Like Benji just touched on, it's an amazing time for French rugby. They've been sort of perennial underachievers for the past 10 years, you'd have to say. Decades, yeah. um, so it's great to see them on a different path, team spirit, a different gear shift, the way they perform on the pitch and everything kind of mixed together. They seem to be driving in, in a positive direction. So that was really encouraging. Um, and it's what the tournament needs, what French rugby needs, because it's been in the doldrums for 10 years. So that's great. Fantastic to see. And we spoke to Bernard a little bit about uh, the game against Ireland, but um, I just want to get your thoughts on the Dupont and Enterback combination. Obviously, they they tore it up again, but is that is that the best we've seen from them yet? I think Entamac really. I think Entamac was his best performance on, with under the French jersey. So Dupont has done some highs and lows like nobody else has ever done. Uh, not so much lows, but you know some incredible highlights. Uh, so during that game, I think he was as good as most of his performance. Entamac is the first time I've seen him control a game and basically outplay Johnny Sexton yeah. in a role which is not completely his. I thought he, his composure was fantastic. His decision making was spot on. That little chip kick is just beautiful. 
listen, that's the guy who's like, listen, I'm going to take things and, uh, and, you know, for me, beautiful, executed, delivers a try, and you can see he's celebrating. So he, he's got the skill he always has. He's got the talent for sure. But then he is learning to have the nerves and to have the brains. And, and I thought that was a hell of a performance, helped by the little crazy tornado Antoine Dupont. Um, helped by Gregor Aldrit, who just is the new Louis Picamol. He just goes forward all the time and he's been very Tom good. Truck. I thought Paul Villemse had a decent game, but Bernard Lowe had another big game. He was just smoking dudes, a workhorse, working very, 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 very hard around the pitch. Gael Ficou was absolutely phenomenal. And we said about, you know, the fact that he shifted on the wing, but it's still his defensive system was the same. And I thought he did well. And the first ball he catches, he steps to the ball. He steps the tight head prop for England. Okay, Porter, but still, he it's a mismatch. And then you know, he dummies to go, chips it over and gives the try. That was absolutely beautiful. I was so happy for him. I thought they did well. Uh, I thought they handled the pressure of, you know, how many points we need to score, yes or no. Very, very well. Uh, just, just great stuff. I just think generally they seem so much more in control of what they're trying to do in every facet of their game. So like Bernie talked about kick chase. I mean, something stupid that you would never really think about with a French team, but defensively in kick chase, they out pressure, they, you know, they put so much pressure on Ireland and Wales that they cracked. You think years past, going back to Ron O'Gara, Johnny Sexton, you're playing the Matt Croke Parker in the Six Nations in wet weather. You're going to get bombed. You're going to get good kicking game. You're going to get stressed. You're going to get forced to make mistakes. And what do we see in this game? Little balls through. Jacob Stockdale fumbling the ball leading to a penalty try. High balls. When they recovered France the ball, under little pressure, an offload, and away they go, try time. Um, I just think that's a part of the game that they've never really managed that well. In terms of all the different tries, you can see, Fab, having, work, having worked with Fabian at Montpellier, you can see his fingerprints on everything they do. That's what allows all these guys to flourish. The fact that there is the identification of space with the proper attack system, Fiku gets to control the ball in space, does a one-on-one, first try. The fact that there's a proper communication system in place to identify there's nobody in that second line of defense, we can do a chip kick with Intermac, we can get behind and we can play. All these things before, I've always felt the French team has had the raw ingredients, has had the talent, but they've never had the systems in place properly to communicate and execute at that level. So again, for me, it is next level and where they are. Defense again, I mean, they had, I think they had four of the top seven tacklers in the tournament. They had um, Olivon, they had Aldrit, um, they had one other, Leroux, we just had them on and they were phenomenal. They put so much pressure on them. And one, one more thing, Johnny, that you have been very, very aware every time you played Ireland is how good their driving mall was. And I don't know if you remember, but it. Ireland took a de- decision beginning the of first the game one. to actually cook to the corner and yeah. they got absolutely bullied. And Bernard Leroux was playing that corner. But that's defending your driving mall. If you don't defend it straight as soon as the, the feet hit the, hit the floor, it's, it's very hard. Either you can see the penalty, either you have to do something dodgy because it's just too hard. They just blew them away. And they went from outside in straight into touch. And I think mentally, psychologically, that's a very big thing. And that's William Servat, Karim Gezal going through the, the details of, listen, they're going to come and try to bully us on this. We're going to kick them in the mouth from the first one. And I think that's, that's, that's a huge... Uh, instead of instead of adapting to a thing, I think it's, it goes exactly what you said, Johnny, in terms of adding something more in, in the strategy, in the defensive strategy. That's another weapon that they had to be like, we're, we're not going to concede 10 meters on the first driving ball and then try to see how we're going to li- do with it. No, no, no. We've got a plan in place. We've got all the details already planned in our strategy, in our homework. And then the first line out, uh, line out comes and it was like go time to, to prove, it, prove them wrong. So I was very impressed by all yep. that detail. 
that was a huge physical marker as well, a mental marker in the physicality in that game. It was the first one. And you know, as a line-out caller, use a thrower, Benji. Anything that you win around five, seven meters, you know that you're going to get about 600 kilos normally arrive and steamroll you at 45 degrees into touch. That's what happens all the time in top 14, but we don't really see it that much in that attitude at international level. And that's where, again, that marker was unbelievable. It was, you're in Paris, this is our home patch, and we're going to freaking smash you. And I absolutely loved it. It was great. It started well, and it went from strength to strength, and they, they were excellent. So an amazing day for the French team and, and a great tournament. We spoke quite a lot last week about how we thought the game might pan out, and I think it was fairly accurate. France were too good in the end. We've spoken about... We're pretty Dupont. good, eh? Good you, seem, you, seem, you seem surprised, <laughs> mate. We're very good, you know that. I know it's going to give you a big head by saying this. But and we've now spoken about Dupont and Entomac and how impressive they were. I just want to touch on Ireland because we spoke quite a lot about them as well last week. So what did you make of Sexton's reaction when he was taken off? Because there's a lot of chat about that at the moment. Yeah. And obviously there's a massive contrast between Dupont and Entomac and Murray and Sexton in terms of their age, obviously, and experience. Yeah. Uh, I know it's, it's a lot to do with the forwards and, and, and France got the better of Ireland in that department, clearly. But what did you make of that sort of contrast and then Sexton's reaction? I don't know what you think, Johnny, but I, I don't believe he should have been subbed off considering that... It, it, do, am I wrong to think that the fly half that came in is his number two at Leinster? Yep, Ross yeah. Byrne, yeah. So clearly he's the number one. Clearly he's the leader of this. Clearly it's going to be a small margin game where you need your biggest strategic uh, assets on the field. So I, I would have never subbed him off. I did not understand the coaching in general from Ireland. I thought they were quite, quite weird and a little bit poor, but... A guy of his leadership and his experience and his charisma should never even show half of what he showed. Never. Go into the change room, have a proper chat with Farrell if you want. Be angry as you want, because I think that's well-deserved, to be honest. But, but don't show it. I, just, I didn't like the, the attitude that it showed towards the, the Irish fans, towards the team spirits and all that. I'd be more disappointed in him if he walked off with his head down, didn't say anything and sulked off the pitch. Um, I think his reaction, yes, is one of, look, I don't want to be subbed off because I'm the leader of this team and this is my role for this team to win, keep me on the pitch. But I think half of it is the frustration of how they've played. Um, they haven't been great in this tournament. Obviously, we, we, we've talked about PVAC and the Welsh setup. You've got Andy Farrell and the, and the Irish setup. They're clearly in a phase of transition, but they were really average again. So I'm not sure how much of it is the reaction of being pulled off and yanked off to, for, for, for Byrne to come on and try and do something different and how much is, look, he, I'm absolutely devastated and I'm showing how angry and upset I am at how we've just performed because they were average, really, really average. And when we talk about Ireland over the past 10 years, we talk about controlled, measured, sometimes boring, but there it was error strewn. They, as a back attack line, they looked like they were just shipping the ball laterally across the field and not really doing anything and that is not at all what we expect from Ireland so I don't know I think Wales and Ireland we've already talked about it but they're going to struggle over the next couple of years um, and again Johnny coming off the pitch for me and you talked about the coaching and people coming off the pitch for me it's a roll of the dice from Farrell he's like I don't know what's going on I don't know how to change this game I have to do something because it's not working um, so for me it, it was almost a little bit desperate and that's what made me sad and I thought, yeah, he's, he's devastated with how the game's gone. I thought he was quite right because I thought they were poor, very, very poor. And just to finish on the Six Nations, we won't really talk much about um, the game you mentioned you were doing, Benji. Well, Scotland, not, not a classic. But, um, it's a classic, mate. It's the first <laughs> win in I don't know how many years. 
and I called it. It's an absolute classic. I was going to say, I was going to say, we were both pretty good about the France Island, but I got it wrong for the Wales Scotland, and it was well deserved to be fair. A pretty a very average game, a very average game, especially in the first half. It opened up in the second, and we saw some positive rugby from the 72nd minute, I think, whereas this is like a 40 phase. Uh, um, 40 uh, sort of sequence sort of phase which was great and both sides play well uh, to be honest I thought uh, so Wales are struggling they're, 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 not, they're not full of confidence they're not themselves um, they've got a very exciting that's probably the only good news a very exciting new back row that Lewis Hughes I think his last name is uh, for yeah. the first cap big fella he looks identical to Dan Lidiot, Lidiot just a little bit taller but wow I think he must have tackled 30 guys in the game barely made a, a mistake he's only 22 I think or something like that and it was his first cap so I was very impressed by him he didn't show any you know, newbie coming into the scene and stuff. He was just a workhorse who kept on tackling, never got penalized and did really, really well. Um, I think Scotland won it psychologically. There's a penalty. They decide to go to touch. They do a driving mall 15 meters out where everybody joins in and score. Fair play to them. They could have taken the points. I think, maybe you tell me wrong, Johnny, but I think that's Stuart Hogg's decision who then picks up the balls. Like, no, 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 we're going to go to touch with uh, Makinelli being on the pitch. I think they sort of decided between them. Um, funnily enough, all the the double winners of of from Exeter of Champions Cup and Premiership did not have a huge game, but they just played their role and they played their part. Um, and it was a well deserved, very well deserved win from Scotland, with everybody coming off the bench having an impact uh, and 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 doing well. And so I actually liked it. You know, when they didn't let a ref or anybody decide the game for them, they took it took the ball by the horns kicked a touch, did that good drive them all, and then it was completely well-deserved. So uh, still a big win, just a, a, a bit of a dull moment that you would have loved to have a proper crowd, a proper 40 minutes, and a proper, a, uh, how do you say that, like standing ovation for Alwyn Jones and the record-breaking international caps. It was just, it was a bit heartbreaking to see him walking out and all you could do was like sort of a slow clap for one one dude. But, uh, but it's better than nothing. Still incredible achievement. It's just... It's just a little bit dull. Well, we're talking about it now, so it wasn't good from a fly, <laughs> fly wasn't good from a fly half perspective. Um, Finn Russell and Adam Hastings both both with injuries and both going to keep them out for a little while. Finn, I think, um, his groin is going to keep him out, so that's not great news for Racing either. But um, Duncan Weir, Johnny, meatball, mate, he's a great guy. <laughs> um, that's a, like we came through together at Glasgow Warriors. Um, probably one of the get the best kicking standoffs I've ever played with, and he's a lovely bloke as well. Um, and he's had to sort of kick his heels and go down and, and find a club in the Premiership, um, where he plays really well week in week out. Um, and he's Very consistent, well. which he maybe wasn't a few years ago at Glasgow. He's found a new level of consistency, but he hasn't had an opportunity because Finn and Adam Hastings have been playing so well. So um, it would be a worry for I think most people in Scotland that haven't seen Duncan play, but um, he's a consistent, uh, nuggety, meatballish, um, Afro, Afro head now. I mean, have you seen his hair? It's absolutely amazing, growing for charity. And he, he'll be great. And he'll be, he'll have built up so much desire watching those two guys play ahead of him. And, you know, he was moved about from Glasgow to Edinburgh, which was, didn't work well for him. And then had to leave Scott and move down to Worcester um, and he's done it the hard way. So absolutely looking forward to him getting back on a personal level because I know him and he's a great bloke, but also for the team, he had something different. Um, he adds a kicking, a kicking strategy that we, we don't have. His quality of kicking is, is world-class. So um, for maybe people that don't know him too well, they'd be worried, but knowing him, um, he'll be great. 
I'm not worried at all. It'd be great to see him back in a Scottish jersey. And to wrap up on the Six Nations, so great tournament for France. They're getting all the plaudits at the moment. Everyone's saying how they were playing the, the best rugby in the tournament, but England's title. So please for them. Please for England? No. <laughs> I think, I I think like, you know, you can only be, you can only be pleased for Ben Youngs as a top dude and he got his 100th cap and hats off. Incredible achievement. Personally, he played really well again. It's just that little detail on that Italy game. Did you see, I saw a video of them, the reaction of them winning it. They just shook hands. That night. It's, it's, it's random. It is just random. You, that's not how you want to win it. And when you consider you win it and the, the team who beat you is second, you'll take a title, obviously, but they didn't over-celebrate. It's just a good achievement, good, good Six Nations for them. Then the title is icing on the cake. So you think back to you know, that loss in France, the fashion that they've won that game against Italy, the, the manner that they won in Edinburgh in an absolute storm. Like It hasn't been an overly exciting tournament for them, but... I think they'll take the win bonuses and they, they won't say too much more about it and move on. So looking ahead to the Autumn Nations Cup, we spoke to Ben Allure about it then. France looks like they're going to play their first choice team against Fiji and then it'll be the new guys coming in. So just, just give us a view on how they're going to approach it and um, what we've got to look forward to. Yes, Fiji, uh, Fiji, Scotland and Italy. Uh, it will be fun to see sort of the strategy that's, uh, that's, that's going into them. But it, the the... the the deal between the federation and the league was to say a maximum of three games. How they're going to handle that, I don't know. They already said that they will try to rotate absolute minimum, and that if they do, it's because they're basically strong armed by by this not ideal situation between the league and the federation. Yeah, but it's going to be exciting to see who they bring in. But look, they're going to want to finish strong with the, with the group that they've come through with, and then look to rotate further down the line. Simply, um, but again, they want to try and do well in front of their French public when they're at home. Again, Benji, I'm not sure if they maybe might rotate more um, for that game away in Edinburgh against Scotland just because there's travel and there's top 14 and you might want to be looking for some favours with French presidents. So, I don't know. I think they're going to look to absolutely pummel Fiji in Van, which is up in Brittany in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and then, again, they're going to look to try and, and pump as, as much as they can, as many new faces into the 23 as possible and try and give some new caps um, and, and get some depth. That's what, that's what Ernie was talking about earlier. Generate as much depth as possible before this World Cup. Well, we will talk more about the Autumn Nations Cup next week. And let's just briefly discuss the top 14 before we leave. Um, another bad week for Ajen. Another terrible week for Agen, and after that, unfortunately, the coaches got the sack. Uh, Christophe Le Suc and Rémi Vacan did not survive the Monday. Um, they got absolutely trashed by Bordeaux, who needed to win. That's the problem. Bordeaux uh, had a bit of a, a knife under their throat. You know, They were really, really desperate to win. Some individual behaviors that really did not fit well with the president, who came out on social media saying, listen, it was an absolute disgrace. Some guys are going to get actually financially penalized or something. He just doesn't know. So the coaches got the sack on the Monday, but apparently there still might be some punishment against some players whose attitude he just thought was disrespectful and out of order. So things are not going well at all. Uh, things are dark. And unfortunately, I don't see how they're going to dig themselves out of that hole. So Benji, they have seven win, seven games, no wins. They got one point now in the table. They are absolutely battling. You're going to have to bring in a magician with a big wand to fix what is going on at Agen because the player pool ain't great. They don't have that much talent. Who could you see that's available in French rugby that could come in and do an absolute rock star job and pull them out of where they are right now? Because like they had that week before they played Bordeaux, they ran the, 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 it was the players that ran all the training sessions. They did it by themselves, no coach, no assistance. Who do we know that's available that could come in that is decent at this stage in a year and turn them around? Is there anybody? 
Uh, there's no magician around, but they, they're talking to Regis Son. So a guy's got quite a crazy background, um, extremely talented back row for Toulouse in the good old days, and then traveled everywhere. He went to coach in West Ireland in a college, and then he ended up coaching Spain. And then he ended up all of a sudden being back in Bordeaux as a forwards coach and did really, really well. And I got signed back in the Toulouse setup as lineouts and forwards coach. I hear he is an absolute genius. He's very, very good, crazy guy. He wears a beret, um, full of very eccentric, um, very eccentric. Like he speaks about poetry and then he's a hunter and then he goes off in the woods. Just a bit of a crazy character. And apparently they're looking at him to come and basically maybe reconnect the guys on the human side more than anything. And then add a bit of science. But like you said, Johnny, it's... It's almost an impossible task for one. And for, for two, there's also a possibility that by January, they say, listen, there's no relegation. <laughs> so because of all the COVID cases and stuff, it's just everything can be pressed on, uh, you know, the whole competition can be pressed on pause. Um, and, and then you sack your coaches for nothing. So they're just a bit like Farrell was trying to try anything by getting Sexton out of the game, where the president is just trying anything to reboost his team. And another game in the top 14 we spoke about last week, the um, the derby between Breve and, and Clermont. Fairly comfortable in the end, Benji. A uh, huge win. I'm really chuffed for them. Uh, another bonus point that they went to get the 81st minute uh, where they obtained a penalty and then went to touch and then tapped and go and then a few pick and goes and they get, they get steal that bonus point win they really wanted to then be top of top 14. Uh, which was it is symbolic, okay? There's some teams that are missing games under them. Fair enough, but still... Uh, it's 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 things are changing. I, I couldn't be happier. Another captaincy of Arturi Turia, another full t- performance of of their team. Matsushima really stepping it. JP Barak, a former sevens international who never really made it into Toulouse Berets. I think he played in a few different teams, and never really made it consistently. Went to the sevens back in Clermont and he's absolutely killing it. He scored a 40 meter try on his own uh, individual effort. His commitment is outstanding. So he's medical joker for Wesley Fofana or George Moala, I can't remember, but they're trying to extend his contract now because he's been so good and influential. The vibe is changing. The team spirit is changing. Look out, Clermont are back. I'm so happy for them. And a big win. I know Toulouse were missing a lot of players, but big win for Stade Francais. Yeah, to be honest, so I commentated in, in, in Paris and there was Jérôme Casalbou who was commentating the Italy, well, the Italy-England from Paris as well. And Jérôme Casalbou is sort of the manager, that, what is he? Uh, so let's just say general manager of Satoulouse at the moment. He's the link between, between everyone. You know, and he was, it was easy for him to be in Paris. He's like, yeah, because we're playing Stade Français the next day. I was like, okay, good. Are you looking forward to it? He's like, ooh. So what do you mean? I was like, well, we barely have anybody to, to put out there. I was like, oh, okay. And he's, lo- he's going through the list of the injured guys. So they already knew that basically they had to sort of, not sacrifice, but it was going to be a, a tough game against Paris because they had, they had about, he was telling me about the Max Medard and the Lucas Tosin and all those guys who were just about to come back in the team, but not to hurt them now and wait seven weeks to get them. They decided to skip that game and to make sure they were fully fit to play next week. So a tough moment for Toulouse at the moment just because of the depth of, of, of their squad, which is really shrinking. Um, and it's not going to get any better considering the Dupont and the Entamac and the Cyril Bay and Julien Marchand. Alde Guiri now the tight head prop. Uh, Francois Cross, who uh, hurt his foot, broke his foot uh, at the weekend against, against Ireland. Uh, they're not coming back. So, so they're going to have to dig deep, stay strong and, and pray for December to come very quick. 
Another big win on the road for La Rochelle, another one we didn't really talk about, but again, a guy that's sort of been in the French team and then disappeared. You'd have played with him, Benji, but can you tell us a little bit about Jules Plisson? who's a guy that I was always quite impressed with, but obviously another guy that paid the price for the fallout at Stade Francais, but he's really found his feet and he's doing really well under Ron O'Gara and John O'Gibbs at La Rochelle. Is that a guy that you could see maybe helping to build a bit of depth back in the French squad? Yeah, I mean, he's he's absolutely charming, loving, um, lovely guy. He's he's full of talent, um, always a positive spirit. He got chopped in four pieces by Cornelos in, in Twickenham. Yeah. You know, if you remember, I thought he yeah. was dead for rugby, and he just got back up and, and went again. So he, he's a genuinely super nice guy. Which Saint Andre at some point was was thinking of making his, his starting number one, and they just had a massive fallout with Hannah Kimmer and that whole system. Uh, around Stade Francais where a bit like Sergio Paris and all that and he's quite outspoken uh, he's got a, quite a strong personality but he just need a bit of love a bit of a bit of self-confidence uh, a bit of this and then La Rochelle were spot on to actually get him through and it's it's funny because he came in as medical joker last year uh, or, or joueur supplementaire extra player whatever because La Rochelle needed some guy because I think Aya West was, was injured first game he comes on he Helps the team to win last minute thanks to a kicking uh, to one of his kicks. So, you know, it was straight away at the time when there was 20,000 people in Marcel de France, La Rochelle, superstar, really good. And the following week, they play against Stade Francais. And, or no, they play in Stade Francais, sorry. And he has the winning kick against Stade Francais, his old team that he misses. But after that, he went through performances and performances that basically got him through. So he had the high, the absolute low. Everybody picked him up and then he delivered on the pitch and then it was a sealed deal. Then he re signed. He's bought himself a little boat to go around Lille de Ré and all that. No doubt. Yeah, he, he is a, he's an absolutely lovely bloke who's trying to get a Dante, you know, the very solid center who played for France and Stade Francais to sign for La Rochelle as well and their best mates and like schoolmates. Uh, he's one of that generation of Paris born and bred with the Rabat Slimani and Alex Flancard, Gibril Camara, uh, Hugo Bonval, all those guys. Um, and he's getting his Fatou, his um, Fatou Danti uh, back with him in La Rochelle. So a lovely, lovely bloke who just needed a bit of love and he's got a lot of talent. The only problem for the French team is that there's Jalibert and Intamac. So there's a lot of youth, a lot of talent. If there, if there is any a time of a guy missing out, he'll definitely step 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 in there because he's, he's quality. And he'll be involved in the big game in the top 14 this weekend because La Rochelle and Claremont on Sunday night, that's going to be a big one, isn't it? Yeah, very, very tough one for La Rochelle. So I think Sunday night at nine in La Rochelle. Yeah, a, a very big test for Clermont. Uh, I hope it's not too big. La Rochelle is just smoking everyone at the, at the moment. They're not missing anybody, really. Um, they've got Winnie Antonio's back, Jules Pisson, like you said. They're just delivering strong performances. I think the link between Ronaldo Gara and John Gibbs took a little bit of time. The acceptance from the team took a little bit of time. Now they're fully on board. They're smoking everybody in the scrum. Dato Zirakashvili, the former Clermont prop, is a scrummaging coach there now. Uh, they're doing really, really, really impressive performances. Um, I just hope that Clermont have got enough depth to, to, to go there physically fresh and to actually probably give them a run for the money. Uh, but it's already, you know, Sébastien Bézi against Ker Barlow, uh, Matsushima against Arthur Rotier if he doesn't play for the French team and stuff like that. So, big, big game. And anything else you're looking forward to in the top 14 this weekend? The old Toulouse cast crunch. That's another one that people don't really talk about. It's not the most glamorous of derbies, but for people of Toulouse and Cast, that's a huge weekend. So Cast, again, kind of struggling against Toulouse who are picking up injuries. So it could be a chance to maybe sneak something on the road for Cast. Um, and then again, 
you can't look past Agen. So Agen are playing at home. If they've got any hope of doing anything, again, they're not going to have a coach there with them this week, but they're playing at home against Leon. If they're going to be serious and try and mount any kind of challenge of staying up and not getting relegated, if there's non-COVID imposed, they have to win this weekend. Otherwise, they are screwed. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. And a massive thank you to Bernard Lurie for joining us as well. Thanks to all of you for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe and leave us a nice review if you get a chance as well. And we will be back with another episode next week. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers, fellas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.